brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Eastern Kentucky and Moorhead Shopper's Guide, repeated at 5 p.m. and 1 a.m. 1 p.m. Book Series, repeated at 9 p.m. and 5 a.m. 2 o'clock p.m. New York Times, repeated at 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. 3 o'clock p.m. Mystery Mix-Up, repeated at 11 p.m. and 7 a.m. 3.30 p.m. AARP, repeated at 11.30 p.m. and 7.30 a.m. You are listening to Radio I, your source for printed news and information. This service is intended for listeners who are blind, visually impaired, or have other disabilities that prevent them from reading. All materials are read as written and do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Radio I. For further information about this service, please call 859-422-6390 or visit our website at www.radioi.org. That's www.radioeye.org. Welcome to the reading of the Courier Journal for Tuesday, November 8th, 2022, which is brought to our Louisville listeners via Louisville Public Media. As a reminder, Radio I is a reading service intended for people who are blind or have other disabilities that make it difficult to read printed material. Your reader for today is Angie Mims. We start with the weather forecast through Sunday from the WHIS 11 First Alert Storm Team. Today, high 70, mild sunshine. Tonight, low 44, clear and chilly. Wednesday, high 74, low 49, sunny and pleasant. Thursday, high 73, low 53, very nice. Friday, high 70, Low 37, partly sunny. Saturday, high 44, low 29, mostly sunny and chilly. Sunday, high 41, low 28, chilly sunshine. Now for the local forecast from Ben Pine, Chief Meteorologist. After a chilly start, we will have nice election day weather with highs in the upper 60s to near 70 this afternoon. It'll be mostly clear and cool tonight with lows in the 40s. The rest of the work week will feature sun and mild temperatures. Highs will be in the upper 60s and lower 70s through Friday, trending about 10 degrees above normal. The Almanac for Louisville through 4 p.m. Monday. Temperature, high 72, low 50. Normal high, 61. Normal low, 42. Record high, 79 in 1980. 
record low, 22 in 1971. Precipitation for 24 hours through 4 p.m. Monday, zero. Month to date, 0.01 inches. Normal month to date, 0.77 inches. Year to date, 38.03 inches. Normal year to date, 41.56 inches. Air quality. Yesterday, moderate. Today, good. Sun and moon. Tuesday, sunrise, 7.16 a.m. Sunset, 5.37 p.m. Moonrise, 5.46 p.m. Moonset, 7.24 a.m. Wednesday, sunrise, 7.17 a.m. Sunset, 5.36 p.m. Moonrise, 6.19 p.m. Moonset, 8.29 a.m. Moon phases, full moon, November 8th, last quarter, November 16th, new moon, November 23rd, first quarter, November 30th. Weather history. On November 8, 1972, a powerful storm hit the Northeast with heavy rain, flooding, and high winds. In New York City, the fierce coastal gale drenched the city with a record 5.1 inches of rain. Now for Tuesday's headlines. Services at New Norton Healthcare Facility will change lives, hospital official says. Public gets glimpse of West End Hospital. By Anna Rocio Alvarez Brignes. Louisville's planned West End Hospital, the first to be built west of 9th Street in more than 150 years, is getting closer to becoming a reality. Norton Healthcare offered several updates about the West Louisville Hospital in a community meeting Thursday, where the company gave a closer look at what services it will provide and who will run the facility. A 3D model of the hospital was also shown to those who attended the session at Brandeis Elementary School, which is next to the site of the development. Plans to build the hospital were rolled out in February. The project, a partnership between Norton Healthcare and Goodwill Industries of Kentucky, will reshape the corner of 28th Street and Broadway and is expected to open in the last quarter of 2024, according to Anthony Mathis, Norton's Director of Energy and Infrastructure. This will change lives. This will affect us all, Mathis said. This could be transformational for our state. You know, I'm going to double down and say this is going to be a beacon of hope. It's going to be a blueprint for the rest of the country to see how this hospital can be a bridge to eradicate inequities in healthcare. In the forum, Norton Healthcare President Russell Cox said community input played a key role in the hospital's plans. A report handed out at the event said 36% of West End residents who answered a survey about the project reported they'd had difficulty finding a specialist, while 33% of West End respondents 
said they could not access services they needed. With a lack of evening and weekend times in which healthcare professionals are available as the biggest barrier, more than 4,500 people from around the city responded to the survey, according to the company. Goodwill also plans to relocate its headquarters to the new facility and offices that will be built on site as well, according to a release at the forum. Those offices are expected to open next year. Here are three key takeaways from Thursday's event. Hospital Services Answers the company received from the survey shaped how Norton Healthcare designed the project, Cox said. The hospital will offer services including inpatient care, a 24-hour emergency care department, specialty care, adult and pediatric primary care along with outpatient procedures. Its services will be tailored to what survey respondents prioritized, he said, including women's health services, mental health specialists, diabetes care, and bone and joint specialists. Jackie Hillman lives near the site at 29th and Rowan Streets, and she was impressed with much of what she saw, though she was concerned that while the hospital offers women's health services but does not advertise men's health. I think if it says men's health, I think perhaps the men and themselves would be more inclined to visit, she said. New Images and 3D Animation of the Hospital Andy McCarthy, Norton's System Vice President of Facilities Management, showed off some unique features in the building, which he said align with the survey's answers. A majority of the people surveyed said they wanted to prioritize safety, natural light, and a single area for check-in as part of the facility design, according to the results presented at the event. McCarthy said the building was designed with a lot of green space, including three landscape roofs throughout the building. The hospital will have one check-in area to make it easier for people seeking services at the hospital. Windows were also prioritized, especially in the patient rooms. 20 inpatient rooms, 10 on each side of the hospital, which will have a view of the green space surrounding the hospital. An ambulance bay and a separate entrance for people going to the emergency room will also be on site, according to McCarthy, who said the facility will also include ample parking, but there's also going to be ample pedestrian access. And if you happen to be in a wheelchair, there's going to be easy access. Gloria Brown, who lives across the street from Brandeis Elementary, is really excited for the new facility. When she had to go to the emergency room recently, she told the Courier-Journal, she had to go all the way to Dixie Highway. Brown doesn't drive, she said, and while she'll live close by, she's pleased the new hospital will have two bus shelters for people who use them as a method of transportation. Chief Administrative Officer announced. Cox said, Carenza Townsend will be the Chief Administrative Officer of the West Louisville Hospital. Townsend has worked with Norton Healthcare for 13 years and was one of the people who first proposed the idea to Cox in 2017 of building a hospital in the West End. She told the Courier-Journal 
She brought the idea forward because we live it, we see it, and a lot of times we just don't speak on it. And so you know, when you have a voice, you use it. And when you have a company that you work for and a leader that you work for who believes in the community and believes in equitable health care and you introduce the idea, they take it and run with it. I mean, a closed mouth doesn't get fed. Townsend joined Norton Healthcare in 2009 as a licensed practical nurse before eventually moving to a role as manager for surgical services. She starts her new position Monday. Next, voters will say if legislators can call for special session by Joe Sonka. While the battle over a voter referendum that will determine the future of abortion rights in Kentucky has drawn considerable attention, it is not the only constitutional amendment on the ballot this fall that could have a large political impact on the future of the state. Kentucky Constitutional Amendment 1 is a rather lengthy 744-word ballot referendum that essentially would give more power to the Kentucky General Assembly, letting legislators call themselves into a special session and potentially extending regular sessions to end later in the year. Currently, only a governor can call legislators into a special session where they may pass bills that are within the parameters set by the governor. The power dynamics at play with the amendment are simple. The Republican supermajority that pushed for the ballot referendum wants to be able to initiate special sessions with legislation of their choosing, while Democratic Governor Andy Bashir wants to retain this power in the governor's office. Shifting Special Session Power Under the proposed amendment, the legislature could be called into a special session by a joint proclamation of the House Speaker and Senate President, though they could only meet for a maximum of 12 days per calendar year in such sessions. Kentucky is one of just 14 states in which only the governor can call the legislature into a special session. In nearly all of the 36 states where the legislature has this power, they can do so solely through a majority or supermajority vote of each chamber. If approved, Kentucky would be one of just four states where its presiding officers in the House and Senate could initiate a special session without a vote of the legislature. Extending the regular session. The proposed amendment also would let the legislature extend the end date of regular sessions, which currently must conclude by March 30th in odd-numbered years and April 15th in even-numbered years. While the legislature may extend the end date with a three-fifths vote in each chamber, it may not add to the current maximum number of days in a regular session, 60 days in the long sessions of even-numbered years, and 30 days in the short sessions of odd-numbered years. Republicans pushed for Amendment 1. The Republican supermajority pushed through legislation in 2021 to put the constitutional amendment on the ballot expressing frustration that lawmakers could not come back to Frankfurt to rein in some of the COVID-19 policies Bashir enacted between the adjournment of the 2020 session, which happened soon after the pandemic hit the U.S., and the end of that year. Republicans similarly criticized Bashir for not calling a special session at the end of 2021 to deal with redistricting, 
which set up a situation where the legislature had to quickly push back the candidate filing deadline at the beginning of the 2022 session. House Bill 4, one of Republicans' priority bills in 2021, passed through the legislature by a mostly party-line vote, setting it up to go on the ballot in the 2022 general election on November 8th. Under current law, lawmakers may not meet for a special session from the adjournment of the regular session in the spring through the end of the year, unless the governor calls them into session, as Bashir did in August to address eastern Kentucky flood relief and recovery. Democrats want to defeat Amendment 1. Constitutional Amendment 1 is opposed by Bashir, as well as an issues committee that was formed by his campaign manager, Eric Hires. Bashir said he opposes Amendment 1 because it would turn the part-time legislature into a full-time legislature and would further enrich legislators, who already make more for their part-time duties than the average Kentuckian makes working a full-time job. How much could more special sessions cost? Legislators in the Kentucky General Assembly receive a daily salary and expenses for each day they are in session, so additional special session days would come at an extra cost. The Legislative Research Commission estimates that a special session costs roughly $68,000 per day. House and Senate members receive $188.22 in salary per day there in session, with leadership receiving between $216 and $235. Lawmakers also receive $170.50 per day for expenses and $0.62.5 for each mile driven to the Capitol. What exactly will voters see about this on their ballot? This referendum may appear on the back of the ballot in parts of the state, such as the sample ballot from Jefferson County shown below, due to its length. Here is the exact wording of the constitutional amendment. Are you in favor of amending the present Constitution of Kentucky to repeal sections 36, 42, and 55? and replace those sections with new sections of the Constitution of Kentucky to allow the General Assembly to meet in regular session for 30 legislative days in odd-numbered years, for 60 legislative days in even-numbered years, and for no more than 12 additional days during any calendar year if convened by a joint proclamation of the President of the Senate and the Speaker of the House of Representatives with no session of the General Assembly to extend beyond December 31st, and to provide that any act passed by the General Assembly shall become law on July 1st of the year in which it was passed, or 90 days after passage and signature of the Governor, whichever occurs later, or in cases of emergency when approved by the Governor, or when it otherwise becomes law under Section 88 of the Constitution. Proposed new section 1. The General Assembly in odd-numbered years shall convene in regular session on the first Tuesday following the first Monday in January for the purpose of electing legislative leaders, adopting rules of procedure, organizing committees, and introducing and considering legislation. 2. No regular session of the General Assembly occurring in odd-numbered years 
shall continue beyond 30 legislative days. 3. No bill raising revenue or appropriating funds shall be passed by the General Assembly in a regular session in an odd-numbered year unless it shall be agreed upon by three-fifths of all the members elected to each House. 4. The General Assembly, in even-numbered years, shall convene in regular session on the first Tuesday following the first Monday in January, and no regular session of the General Assembly, in even-numbered years, shall extend beyond 60 legislative days. 5. Except as otherwise provided in this Constitution, the General Assembly shall establish by general law or joint resolution the date the regular session shall end. No bill establishing a later date shall be passed by the General Assembly unless it shall be agreed upon by three-fifths of all the members elected to each House. No session of the General Assembly shall extend beyond December 31st. 6. In addition to a regular session, the General Assembly may be convened by joint proclamation of the President of the Senate and the Speaker of the House of Representatives for no more than 12 legislative days annually, during which the General Assembly may recess from time to time as it determines necessary. Should a vacancy occur in the office of the President of the Senate or the Speaker of the House of Representatives, the joint proclamation for the House with the vacancy may be issued by the Senate President pro tempore or the Speaker pro tempore of the House of Representatives. 7. All sessions of the General Assembly shall be held at the seat of government, except in the case of war, insurrection, or pestilence, when it may, by joint proclamation of the President of the Senate and the Speaker of the House of Representatives, assemble for the time being elsewhere. Should a vacancy occur in the office of the President of the Senate or the Speaker of the House of Representatives, the joint proclamation for the House with the vacancy may be issued by the Senate President pro tempore or the Senate pro tempore of the House of Representatives. 8. Limitations as to the length of any session of the General Assembly shall not apply to any extraordinary session under Section 80 of this Constitution or in the Senate when sitting as a court of impeachment. 9. A legislative day shall be construed to mean a calendar day, exclusive of Sundays, legal holidays, or any day on which neither House meets. Proposed new section. No act, except general appropriation bills, shall become a law until July 1 of the year in which it was passed, or until 90 days after it becomes law under Section 88 of this Constitution, whichever occurs later, except in cases of emergency, when, by the concurrence of a majority of the members elected to each House of the General Assembly, by a yea and nay vote entered upon their journals, an act may become a law when approved by the Governor or when it otherwise becomes a law under Section 88. But the reasons for the emergency that justifies this action must be set out at length in the journal of each house. Next, we've got you covered for Election Day in Kentucky by Nick Holcamp. Tuesday is Election Day in Kentucky and Indiana, marking the end of voting in this year's campaign cycle. In Kentucky, voters will decide on whether to add two amendments to the state constitution 
one on abortion and the other on legislative special sessions. Voters across the state also will choose their congressional and state house representatives, and Louisville residents will decide whether Bill Duraf or Craig Greenberg will be their next mayor. Other races include Metro Council and judicial seats. In Indiana, the major races include a U.S. Senate race as well as congressional races. Here are other things you need to know. What time are polls open? Polls in Kentucky and Indiana are open from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Those in line at 6 p.m. will be allowed to vote. Where do I vote? If you have questions about whether you're registered or where you're supposed to vote, contact your county clerk. In Jefferson County, you may visit elections.jeffersoncountyclerk.org and click on Where Do I Vote or call 502-574-6100. That number again is 502-574-6100. If you have a disability or trouble reading, ask an election worker for assistance. They can help and won't reveal your vote. What if I see a problem at the polls? In Kentucky, you can call the election fraud hotline at 1-800-328-VOTE. That's 1-800-328-8683. In Jefferson County, you can call the clerk's office at 502-574-6100. That's 502-574-6100. In Indiana, call 866-461-8683. That's 866-461-8683. We want to know what you're seeing at the polls, too. Contact the Courier-Journal at lounews at couriergernal.com. That's L-O-U-N-E-W-S at C-O-U-R-I-E-R-J-O-U-R-N-A-L dot C-O-M. How do I know if I'm registered to vote? In Kentucky, you can check to see if you're registered at GoVoteKentucky.com. You'll need to provide your first and last name and your birth date. What do I need to take with me? Make sure you have valid identification with a signature, such as a driver's license, military identification card, state ID card with picture, or a social security card. Who should I vote for? We can't tell you that, but we have voter guides for several key races, including Congress, the mayoral race, and school board at CourierJournal.com. That's C-O-U-R-I-E-R hyphen J-O-U-R-N-A-L dot C-O-M. Where can I see election results? We will have live updates and results all night at CourierJournal.com. Reporters such as Morgan Watkins, Joe Sonka, Olivia Krauth, and Hall of Famer Deborah Yetter will also be providing insight on live streams from our newsroom throughout the evening on Facebook, Instagram, and our website. Next, Biden and Trump make final midterm pushes. Fundamental Questions on U.S. Values and Spotlight by Will Weissert 
Associated Press, Dateline, Washington. An election year that unfolded against the backdrop of economic turmoil, the elimination of federal abortion rights and broad concerns about the future of democracy, was concluding with a final full day of campaigning in which leaders of both parties were set to issue urgent appeals to their supporters. President Joe Biden was holding a Monday evening rally in Maryland, where Democrats have one of their best opportunities to reclaim a Republican-held governor's seat. His predecessor, Donald Trump, was set to hold his final rally of the campaign in Ohio. With more than 41 million ballots already cast, Monday's focus was ensuring that supporters either met early voting deadlines or made plans to show up in person on Tuesday. In the first national election since the violent January 6th insurrection, the final days of the campaign focused on fundamental questions about the nation's political values. Campaigning in New York for Governor Kathy Hochul on Sunday, Biden said Republicans were willing to condone last year's mob attack at the Capitol and that, after the recent assault on Paul Pelosi, husband of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, some in that party made light of it or were making excuses. There's never been a time in my career where we've glorified violence based on a political preference, the president said. Meanwhile, a Sunday evening Trump rally in Miami, a reference to Nancy Pelosi prompted chance of lock her up, a stark reminder of the nation's deep divide. For National Democrats, the focus is on their narrow control of the House and Senate. Biden has made the case that the nation's very democracy is on the ballot. Rona McDaniel, the Republican National Committee chairwoman, said Democrats were inflation deniers, trying to deflect the other side's branding of her party as anti-democracy for rejecting the results of 2020's free and fair presidential election simply because Trump lost it. If we win back the House and the Senate, it's the American people saying to Joe Biden, we want you to work on behalf of us, and we want you to work across the aisle to solve the problems that we are dealing with, McDaniel told CNN. This concludes readings for the first sections of the Courier-Journal for Tuesday, November 8, 2022. Stay tuned for the Metro section to follow immediately. Your reader has been Angie Mims. Now to continue reading from the Courier-Journal for Tuesday, November 8th, 2022, starting with the Metro section. Your reader is Daryl Heckman. We will start with the obituaries. We read only the name, age, and location. If you would like further information on any of the obituaries, please call us during the weekdays at 859-422-6390, and we will be glad to read the entire obituary for you. I will repeat that number at the end of the listings. James L. Barnes, 97, Beaverdam. Danny Black, 79, Liberty. Regina Ann Caldwell, 76, Lawrenceburg. Joyce Cleveland, 86, Charlestown, Indiana. Martha J. Club. 95, Louisville. Anita Mary Daly, 41, Louisville. Evelyn Derman, 93, Carrollton. Grace Berner Duncan, 91, Bardstown. Denver Durham, 78, Liberty.
Curtis Duvall, 96, B. Spring. Charles Lewis Frazier, 76, Barberville. Twyla Stoltz Scholar, 70, Louisville. Marcia Gale Grant, 68, Louisville. Marianne Hasselbeck, 91, Clarksville. Barry Horowitz, 80, Prospect. Eugene Humes, 82, Finchville. Mary Ellen Jenkins, 76, Litchfield. Judith Ann Kingsley, 82, Corydon. Paul Douglas Maupin, 58, Richmond. Mary Lou McKinney, 86, Bloomfield. Odeline Luella Musgrove, 93, Elizabeth. Lorena Napier, 92, Kings Mountain. Alice F. Nichols, 83, Lexington. Jane Ann Perkey, 87. Elizabeth Jean Poor, 79, Jeffersonville. Charlie Russell Ramey, 75, Glasgow. Mary Rose Reinhardt, 96, Louisville. Billy Ross, 91, Hazard. Joanne Shepard Scott, 66, Floyd's Knobs. Edward B. Sieg, 95, DePauw, Indiana. John Stoltz, 81, Louisville. Mary Pauline Taylor, 84, Lebanon. Larry Tucker, 77, Russell Springs. And Sandy Louise Wentworth, 41, Shelbyville. If you would like further information about any of these listings today, call us during the weekdays at 859-422-6390, and we will be glad to read the entire item to you. Judge ordered removed from bench. Panel finds he's unfit for office didn't follow rules. Judicial Conduct Commission found Friday that Circuit Judge Jamie Jamison of Marshall and Callaway Counties is unfit for office and should be removed from the bench. In a 70-page opinion and order, it also said Jameson, who is seeking re-election Tuesday, should be prohibited from serving another term. The commission unanimously found he was guilty of a laundry list of ethics violations and failed in every essential respect to follow rules for judges. It said he engaged in improper behavior on the bench, extremely poor judgment, and got involved in lobbying for issues well outside the bounds of a constitutional role of the judge. It said he repeatedly engaged in obstruction of justice and interfered in the commission's investigation by ordering his staff not to comply with its subpoenas. The commission found he personally pressured an attorney to file a bar complaint against another lawyer, draft a sworn statement on the judge's behalf, and improperly retaliated against a deputy sheriff whom he believed, with no evidence, had leaked videos. He also abused his contempt powers most egregiously, the commission said, in 2018. When a defendant's probation was revoked by the judge, the defendant's grandfather, a spectator in the courtroom, questioned aloud what he was to do with the defendant's baby. The judge said if the grandfather should not care, could not care for the baby... He should turn it over to the state. As the defendant's grandfather left the courtroom, he commented that the judge would not get his vote in the next election. Upon hearing this statement, Judge Jameson immediately sentenced him to 180 days in jail and had him taken into custody. The Courier-Journal reported in July that Jameson, who first came to statewide attention when he illegally sealed the court file in the 2018 Marshall County High School shooting, had been slapped with 45 violations of the canons of judicial conduct. The complaint said he improperly started and supervised an ankle monitoring company using the proceeds to fund a drug treatment program he spearheaded. 
The commission, which reports to the Kentucky Supreme Court, said he also violated a rule that states judge, a judge shall not serve as an officer, director, manager, general partner, advisor, or employee of any business entity. The commission said in its finding Friday that some of Jameson's conduct was motivated by idealism, but that he had been warned earlier to stay in his lane. The order removing him goes into effect in 10 days. It may be appealed to the Kentucky Supreme Court, but experts said earlier this year that the court rarely overturns commission orders. Jameson's attorney, Richard Walter, told the Courier-Journal on Saturday that an appeal of the decision would be filed immediately. Michon Lindstrom, director of the communications for the Kentucky Secretary of State's office, said votes for Jameson in Tuesday's election will still be counted, but if he's elected, it's likely that a vacancy would be deemed to exist and Governor Andy Bashir would appoint a replacement. Fauci receives Lifetime Achievement Award. Six others faded for having Ali's six core principles. Dr. Anthony Fauci, head of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, was in Louisville Saturday to receive the Lifetime Achievement Award at the 2022 Muhammad Ali Humanitarian Awards at the Ali Center, 144 North 6th Street. For nearly 40 years, Fauci has been leading America's fight against infectious diseases, including the COVID-19 virus and the HIV-AIDS epidemic. The idea of getting a ward that is named after someone who is incredibly inspirational to me because of the fundamental principles of the way he led his life is very important to me, Fauci told the Courier-Journal. I'm in a difficult position right now. On one side, I am admired. On the other, I'm being torn down. It gives me strength to have a role model in Muhammad Ali. The annual awards ceremony is the Muhammad Ali's largest fundraiser and honors those who have dedicated a portion of their lives to humanitarianism and a host of philanthropic causes. Fauci is the government's top infectious disease expert. He will step down from his position in December, ending decades of federal service capped with a pandemic. While accepting his Lifetime Achievement Award, the 81-year-old appealed to the guests to continue to work together to control the spread of the virus. There's so much disinformation going on right now. Reality is being distorted and truths go out the window, said Fauci. I want to appeal to people all over the country and the world to come back to pulling together against the epidemic instead of fighting each other. Other honorees include World Central Kitchen, which earned the Muhammad Ali Humanitarian of the Year Award for its disaster relief work in western Kentucky after tornadoes devastated the area last December, as well as recent flooding that wiped out communities in eastern Kentucky. The Kentucky Humanitarian Award was presented to Alice Houston, a businesswoman and philanthropist who was also named in Louisville Business First's Power 50 earlier this year. Six other honorees were recognized at Saturday's ceremony for embodying Muhammad Ali's six core principles, confidence, conviction, dedication, giving, respect, and spirituality. Those honorees include Confidence Award winner Gitanjali Rao, a 17-year-old from Louisville, was named Time Magazine's Kid of the Year for Inventions Help to Detect Lead Content, Lead Content in Water, Provide early diagnosis of prescription opioid addiction and counter cyberbullying. Conviction Award winner Lefteris Arapakis from Greece for his work fighting pollution in the Mediterranean Sea. Arapakis also heads up an organization, Analea, that teaches people how to clean plastic out of the sea. Dedication Award winner Mohammed Al Junde from Syria has helped give 200 children access to education via the Garage School in Lebanon. Giving Award winner Liam Elkind, a Yale student who co-founded Invisible Hands during the COVID-19 pandemic to help ensure at-risk community members have access to food and medical supplies. Respect Award winner Malcolm Brogdon, the former NBA Rookie of the Year, for his work in Tanzania with the Brogdon Family Foundation, which helps people access clean water and quality education. 
Spirituality Award winner, Luau Mayan from South Sudan for working for refugee and migrant rights. He also founded Junub Games, an organization that teaches the importance of peace through video games. Muhammad really enjoyed these awards, said Lani Ali, co-founder of the Ali Center and wife of the late boxing great. There were rare moments when the spotlight shone on others who walk in his humanitarian principles. Gonzalez out of contest for U of L president. Interim leader will return as provost. The University of Louisville's interim president, Laurie Stewart Gonzalez, will not become the school's long-term leader, school spokesman confirmed Monday. The University Board of Trustees is nearing the end of its months-long search for a new president. Since its last one, Neely Bendapudi left for the top job at Penn State University last December. Trustees are interviewing finalists for the job, but Gonzalez, who was considered as a candidate for the permanent post, is not among them, UofL spokesman John Carmen told the Courier-Journal. The plan at this point is for her to return to her prior job as provost once a new president is hired. There are finalists, plural, at this point, and they're in the interview process, said Carmen, who said he couldn't disclose who specifically is up for the job. The search process has been closed to the public. Carmen also said the board is on schedule to name a new president by the end of this year. Gonzalez got first hired at the UofL in December 2020 as its provost. A year later, she was promoted interim president when Benaputi unexpectedly left after about three and a half years with the university. There have been multiple leadership changes since UofL's longtime former president, James Ramsey, resigned under pressure in 2016 after multiple scandals. Benaputi came on board in mid-2018 as the college's first permanent rather than interim president since Ramsey left. And then, after she departed, Gonzalez took over temporarily until a long-term successor gets hired. Louisville Restaurateur draws fire for his offensive, dangerous social media posts. Two memes posted on Facebook by an owner of several well-known Louisville restaurants have sparked outrage among the city's LGBTQ community and call for a boycott. The images were posted earlier this week on the personal Facebook page of Fernando Martinez, one of the group, one of the owners of Louisville's Ole Restaurant Group. The post questioned the sexual orientation of Paul Pelosi, the husband of U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, and made light of a recent assault at his California home that left him hospitalized with a skull fracture. A screen grab of the images was published on Louisville's Reddit page Thursday, drawing an avalanche of attention from many people in the city who deemed the posts offensive. They drew an especially strong reaction from several pro-LGBTQ individuals and organizations, including the Derby City Sisters, which bills itself as a group of radical, fun-loving nuns whose mission is to raise funds and spread joy throughout the LGBTQ community of Louisville, said Spencer Jenkins, who leads the Queer Kentucky Advocacy Group. In a statement to the Courier-Journal, Martinez said the posts were a political joke and were not intended to hurt the LGBTQ community. The simple statement of me being homophobic would mean to not love and support my son, and not only my son, several close family members and members of my work family, Martinez said in this statement. I have always been a champion of being who you are as a person, whether it involves race, sexual orientation, and or sexual preference, and always someone that is said to be proud of who you are. Still, several LGBTQ advocates said the post crossed a line. Sister Petty Davis, the leader of the self-described abbess of Derby City Sisters, said the images were offensive and dangerous given the current political climate and hate the gay people, people of color, Jewish people, and immigrants often face. Martinez's group, which he runs with his brother Yaniel Martinez, owns several popular restaurants and restaurant chains in the Louisville area, including Taco Lucador, Steak and Bourbon, Guacamole, Senora Arepa, and La Bodugueta de Mima. Davis said he has dined at Martinez's restaurant several times, but will not go again. 
He started a petition on his own, he said, and not in partnership with the Derby City Sisters to call for a boycott of the restaurant. Let him know you will not be supporting his business due to his insistence on spreading hate, the online petition, which had 135 signees as of Friday evening, said. There are many other great places in this wonderful city, and we don't need that kind of hate in our fantastic food scene, Davis told the Courier-Journal. Jenkins, Queer Kentucky's founder and executive director, said the issue is complex and affects more people than the man behind the posts. The people that work for these people shouldn't be penalized due to their boss's political views, but people should also know that political ideology, what political ideology is funding their money is fueling, Jenkins told the Courier-Journal in a Facebook message. Pelosi was attacked at his home on October 28th and was released from the hospital Thursday after undergoing surgery for a skull fracture he sustained in the assault. The suspect in that case, David DePape, is accused of attacking Pelosi at his home with a hammer while searching for his wife, a divisive national political figure. DePape is currently in custody at the San Francisco County Jail and is facing several charges including attempted murder, burglary, and elder abuse. He faces between 13 years and life in prison if convicted. Voters in Atlanta suburbs sue over unsent absentee ballots. Voters who never received absentee ballots because election officials in the suburban Atlanta county failed to mail them have filed a lawsuit seeking emergency solutions so they can still vote. Election officials in Cobb County acknowledged Friday that the county failed to mail out more than 1,000 absentee ballots to voters who had requested them. County Elections Director Janine Eveler wrote in an email to the county election board that because of staff error, ballots were never created nor sent on two days last month, the lawsuit said. As a result, 1,036 voters never received the ballots they requested. State election data shows that about 250 of them had voted in person during early voting, but many of those whose ballots weren't sent may not be able to vote if a court doesn't step in, the lawsuit says. During the three weeks of early voting that precede Election Day, election officials are supposed to send out ballots within three days of receiving a request. Voters then have until 7 p.m. on Election Day to return the ballot. The lawsuit seeks to have ballots sent overnight to hundreds of voters who still need them and to extend the deadline for them to turn, turn them to Monday. Georgia is a battleground state that f- features a fiercely contested governor's race as well as a Senate contest between Democratic Senator Ralph Warnock and Republican Herschel Walker that could determine which party controls the narrowly divided chamber. For decades, a conservative stronghold, Cobb County in recent years has leaned Democratic as Atlanta suburbs have diversified and as the GOP has lost support from college-educated white voters. The lawsuit, which seeks class action status, was filed on behalf of the voters by the American Civil Liberties Union and the Southern Poverty Law Center. Hundreds of eligible Cobb County voters did everything right and yet find themselves on the brink of total disenfranchisement because they were never mailed their absentee ballots as is required under Georgia law, Jonathan Topaz, staff attorney with the ACLU's Voting Rights Project, said in a news release. Only this court can right the wrong done to these hundreds of voters and ensure that they are able to exercise their fundamental right to vote in this November election. Four Kentucky players win big in Powerball drawing. There were no jackpot winners for Saturday night's 1.6 billion Powerball drawing, but four players in Kentucky are still walking away winners as lottery fever continues to grip this nation. Two tickets, one sold in Benton and the other in Midway, guessed all five white ball numbers but not the Powerball, earning a $1 million prize. The Benton player also added a power play to their ticket, making it worth $2 million. Two other winners matched four white balls and correctly guessed the Powerball and will each receive a $50,000 prize. It's another day to dream, Kentucky, said Mary Harville, Kentucky Lottery President and CEO. The winning Powerball numbers were from Saturday night's drawing, 28, 45, 53, 56, and 69, with a Powerball of 20. 
The names of the individuals who have elected to be identified will not be released until lottery officials do a series of checks at the retailers where the ch- tickets were sold. We're looking forward to greeting Kentucky's newest millionaires, Harville said. Because there were no winners in Saturday's drawing, the Powerball jackpot has increased to a new record high of $1.9 billion, setting a new world record for the largest lottery jackpot in history. The next drawing is set for Monday night at 10.59 p.m. What to watch in critical election. Keep eye on Latino vote. How Trump allies fare. Steve Peoples, Associated Press. Washington. After months of primaries, campaign events, and fundraising pleas, the elections that will determine the balance of power in Washington and state capitals are finally here. Republicans are predicting a massive red wave as anxious Democrats defend their narrow majorities in Congress while struggling to overcome pervasive concerns about the economy, crime, and President Joe Biden's leadership. Democrats are hoping that a backlash against the Supreme Court's reversal of Roe v. Wade will save them. The political environment has led to an unusually large playing field as emboldened Republicans press into Democratic strongholds like New York, California, New Mexico, and Washington State. Still, the marquee races are taking place in swing states like Arizona, Georgia, Nevada, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, all of which could help determine the outcome of the 2024 presidential contest. Because of close contests and extended vote counting, it could take days or weeks before the final outcome is known in several key races. All signs point to Republicans making significant gains on Tuesday. But whether it's a red ripple or a tsunami remains to be seen. Voters are overwhelmingly pessimistic about the direction of the country as inflation surges and political divisions explode. And voters historically take out their frustrations on the party in power. Democrats were initially hopeful that the Supreme Court's decision to eliminate abortion rights might be enough to disrupt historical trends, or at least limit their losses. But party leaders have become increasingly concerned. Operatives in both parties expect the GOP to win the House majority, which would require a net game of five seats. But with a big wave, the GOP could win 25 new seats or more. Sensing opportunity, Republican groups invested millions in Democratic-leaning districts in California, New York, Illinois, and Pennsylvania in the election's final days. The fight for the Senate majority is more competitive. If Republicans pick up even one seat, they would control Congress's upper chamber. Democrats are fighting to protect vulnerable incumbents in Arizona, Georgia, Nevada, and New Hampshire, while Republicans believe they're within striking distance in Colorado and Washington state. The GOP chances are hampered somewhat by flawed candidates in Arizona, Georgia, and New Hampshire, who have been boosted by former President Donald Trump. Pennsylvania represents the Democrats' best opportunity to flip a Republican-held seat, while GOP-held seats in North Carolina and Wisconsin also remain close. The Roe Effect after the Supreme Court reversed Roe v. Wade in June, Republicans worried about the, uh, that the decision might trigger a backlash against GOP candidates who oppose abortion rights. And there have been signs in recent months that voters, suburban women and younger voters in particular, were energized and ready to vote for the Democrats on November 8th. But more than four months after the ruling, the abortion effect may be fading. Democratic candidates have shifted their message away from abortion in recent weeks, at least somewhat, in favor of the economy, Social Security, and Medicare. Democrats sought to improve their outreach to Latinos after underperforming with the group in 2020. But there are reasons to believe the Democrats may do even worse this year among the key voting bloc, long a pillar of the party's coalition. Both parties have been especially focused on the Rio Grande Valley in South Texas, made up of heavily Latino communities where the Biden administration struggles to address problems along the U.S.-Mexico border is a central issue. The GOP believes it will win as many as three House seats in the former Democratic stronghold. 
The GOP is bullish about its standing in Florida's Miami-Dade County, home of 1.5 million Latinos of voting age and a Democratic stronghold for 20 years. The GOP made significant gains there in the last presidential election. Trump remains a dominant force in the Republican Party, but Tuesday's contest will test his strength among the broader electorate. In Pennsylvania, Trump loyalist Doug Mastriano, the Republican candidate for governor, has struggled in the polls against Democrat Josh Shapiro. Trump's pick for the Senate, Dr. Mehmet Oz, is locked in a close race with Democrat John Fetterman in, in Arizona, gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake, and Senate contender Blake Masters, who both promoted Trump's lies of a stolen 2020 election, are in a position to win. Other Trump loyalists to watch, Ohio Senate candidate J.D. Vance, North Carolina Senate contender Ted Budd, Michigan gubernatorial candidate Tudor Dixon, and New York gubernatorial hopeful Lee Zeldin. The 2024 Impact Good government advocates are particularly worried about dozens of election deniers running for state office across several presidential battlegrounds. In Nevada, Republican Jim Marchant is running to become the Secretary of State, the state's chief elections official. Marchant is head of the America First Secretary of State Coalition, a collection of Trump loyalists who falsely say the 2020 election was plagued by voter fraud. It's the same in Arizona and Michigan, where coalition members Mark Fincham and Christina Caramo are running for Secretary of State. And in Pennsylvania, Mastriano, another vocal election denier, would have the authority to appoint his own elections officials if he wins. It's possible, perhaps likely, that the outcome in several key states may take days or even weeks to be finalized. The reasons are many. In Georgia, a candidate must earn at least 50% of the vote to win outright. Otherwise, this election goes to a December 6 runoff. Strategists on both sides believe the state Senate race in particular may do just that. In other states, counting votes can be long and complicated, especially as voting by mail becomes more popular. Biden and Trump make final midterm pushes. Fundamental questions of U.S. values in spotlight. Will Weiser, Associated Press, Washington. An election year that unfolded against the backdrop of economic turmoil, the elimination of federal abortion rights, and broad concerns about the future of democracy was concluding with a final full day of campaigning in which leaders of both parties were set to issue urgent appeals to their supporters. President Joe Biden was holding a Monday evening rally in Maryland where Democrats have one of the best opportunities to reclaim a Republican-held governor's seat. His predecessor, Donald Trump, was set to hold his final rally of the campaign in Ohio. With more than 41 million ballots already cast, Monday's focus was ensuring that voters either met early voting deadlines or made plans to show up in person on Tuesday. In the first national election since the violent January 6th insurrection, the final days of the campaign focused on fundamental questions about the nation's political values. Campaigning in New York for Governor Kathy Hochul on Sunday, Biden said Republicans were willing to condone last year's mob attack at the Capitol and that, after the recent assault on Paul Pelosi, husband of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, some of that party were making light of it or were making excuses. There's never been a time in my career when we've glorified violence based on a political preference, the president said. Meanwhile, a Saturday evening Trump rally in Miami, a reference to Nancy Pelosi, prompted chance of lock her up, a stark reminder of the nation's deep divide. Trump was campaigning for Florida Senator Marco Rubio's re-election, but also focused on his own political future. After telling a crowd in Iowa last week that he's very, very, very probably going to run for president again, he again teased the possibility on Sunday and encouraged supporters to watch his Ohio rally. I will probably have to do it again, but stay tuned, Trump said, teasing the Monday event. We have a big, big rally. Stay tuned for tomorrow night. For National Democrats, meanwhile, the focus is on their narrow control of the House and Senate. Biden has made the case that the nation's very democracy is on the ballot. 
Traveling in Chicago, Vice President Kamala Harris said, These attacks on our democracy will not only directly impact the people around our country, but arguably around the world. Trump has long falsely claimed he lost the 2020 election only because Democrats cheated and has even begun raising the possibility of election fraud this year. Ronna McDaniel, the Republican National Committee chairwoman, said Democrats were inflation deniers trying to deflect the other side's branding of her party as anti-democracy for rejecting the results of 2020's free and fair presidential election simply because Trump lost. If we win back the House and the Senate, it's the American people saying to Joe Biden, we want you to work on behalf of us. We want you to work across the aisle to solve the problems we are dealing with, McDaniel told CNN. Jackson issues first opinion on court, Washington. New Justice Katanji Brown-Jackson has issued her first Supreme Court opinion, a short dissent Monday, in support of a death row inmate from Ohio. Jackson wrote that she would have thrown out lower court rulings in the case of inmate Daniel Chin, whose lawyers argued that the state suppressed evidence that might have altered the outcome of his trial. Jackson wrote that she would have ordered a new look at Chin's case because his life is on the line and given the substantial likelihood that the suppressed records would have changed the outcome of the trial. The evidence at issue indicated that a key witness against Chin has an intellectual disability that might have affected his memory and ability to testify accurately, she wrote. Prosecutors are required to turn over potentially exculpatory evidence to the defense. In this case, lower courts determined that the outcome would not have been affected if the witnesses' records had been provided to Chin's lawyers. Justice Sonia Sotomayor was the only other member of the court to join Jackson's opinion. Two justices also were allies in dissent Monday in Sotomayor's opinion that there was serious prosecutorial misconduct in the trial of a Louisiana man who was convicted of sex trafficking. Jackson joined the high court on June 30th, following the retirement of Justice Stephen Breyer. Apple. China curbs to slow iPhone supply. Beijing. Apple Inc. is warning customers they'll have to wait longer to get its latest iPhone models after antivirus restrictions were imposed on a contractor's factory in central China. The company announcement Sunday gave no details, but said the factory operated by Foxconn in the central city of Xinjiang is operating at significantly reduced capacity. We now expect lower iPhone 14 Pro and iPhone 14 Pro Max shipments than we previously anticipated, the company said. Customers will experience longer wait times to receive their products. Foxconn Technology Group said earlier it imposed antivirus measures on the factory in Xinjiang following virus outbreaks. Apple and Foxconn previously had responded to questions about how iPhone production might be affected. Last week, access to the industrial zone where the factory is concluded, is, uh, where the factory is located, was suspended for one week following a surge in infections in Zhengzhou and the departure of workers from the factory. The lockdown is expected to cause further disruptions to the plant. This concludes excerpts from the Courier-Journal for Tuesday, November 8th, 2022. Your reader has been Daryl Heckman. Please stay tuned for continued programming on Radio Eye.
brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a Midi clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com.